Hey, lovely people. Today, I want to talk about uh, diet, nutrition, and all the weirdness that I have experienced in my um, in my life of being vegetarian, being vegan, not being either of those things, exploring paleo and grain-free and meat and all of those things, and how it is really just this huge, um, it's a huge journey. It's like a um, it's like a pendulum swing almost. And, you know, exploring all these different things, um, has been really fascinating. So, um, and you know, food is so emotional, right? Like food is not just nutrition. Otherwise we'd all be like popping pills for, um, you know, the perfect nutrition and it's the same for everybody. And like, no, it's not it. Um, food is the way we connect with other people, connect with cultures. It's like the first language. Um, None of that shit made any sense to me when I was a kid, right? So when I was a kid, I had like, uh, my parents were very much like health conscious parents, but they were the kind of health conscious that uh, the 90s kind of spawned where it was like, you know, bacon is bad and fats are bad and eggs are bad. And, um, but you know, sugar? Oh, yeah. I mean, have, what, have as much as you want. Like, totally. It's just sugar. It's nothing. Like, yeah, five popsicles a day. You want to eat an entire bag of snow cones or like Reese cups? Totally. Go for it. Um, because sugar is not that bad not that bad. <laughs> anyway, so um, around that, and then also uh, there is the other background, which is um, now I know about the science of epigenetics, which if you don't realize, um, if you don't know that much about epigenetics, basically it means that, you know, back in like the 80s and 90s when gene, uh, when they were mapping DNA and stuff, they found out that, um, you know, your DNA is like, it's what you got. Your genes are what you got. And if you have the gene for this or that illness or this or that, you know, predisposition or blue eyes or whatever it is, like that's what it is. You can't change it. But the science has evolved since then. And now we know about epigenetics, which means that A, your ancestors have influence on your genes. And in fact, they have traced it up to 14 generations back that we will, um, that traits and preferences and, um, you know, even like manners of habit or, um, responses to trauma or else responses to, you know, joy or beauty, they can trace them back. So like an experience that your great, 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 great grandparents had, if it was like impactful enough on them, we are still carrying the, the, the juju of that in our genes today. The other part of epigenetics has to do with the influence that we can exert on our genetic expression right now in real time in the course of our lives. So for instance, uh, just because you have a gene for, you know, this or that illness doesn't necessarily mean that gene will be turned on, so to speak, and um, it may or may not be expressed. And that is due to the environment in which we are living, meaning our stress, our habits, our diet, our lifestyle, our choices, right? So like epigenetics is a brilliantly empowering concept because we um, we have the ability to really, you know, look at our lives and not feel like we are fated to, oh, we just got like a bad lottery with the genes or whatever. Like, oh, you know, my dad had heart disease, so I'm doomed. Like, no, it doesn't have to be that way. And we know this now and science supports this now. So it's a really... It's a really brilliantly empowering way of looking at who we are and how the past does shape the future, does influence the future, but also 
So do we, because everything is energy. So back to my story time. Um, so when I was, when I was like a teenager, uh, I went through a, a pretty deep depression and apparently this is a thing. Like my mother had it happen to her and my kids have all, like my, my older kids have had, uh, depression in their teen years. And it's like, it just seems to be that, uh, the process of going from child to adult is really like intense for us emotionally. Um, and so part of that for me and also for my mother was that we had a lot of like weird, weird, like habits and diet, uh, around diet stuff. So we were, um, I was really afraid of like gaining weight and I was, uh, paranoid about what I ate and, you know, afraid of, uh, afraid, really afraid of my body changing. Um, when I was like hitting puberty, I was just absolutely mortified, like on a very deep, like psychological level of this is awful and I don't want it to happen to me. <laughs> um, and so I do think that I also had uh, some eating disorder type stuff overlaid upon my journey of like exploring vegetarianism because it was like, oh, well, this is healthy, but healthy also means like skinny or like, you know, socially acceptable body type, whatever. Like I had a lot of stuff around my, uh, my why for all of this when I was, when I was uh, first going vegetarian. So when, um, I think I mentioned in my last episode that my mother, pa her mother passed away, uh, when, when I was 13. So my grandma passed on when I was 13 and I didn't know her that well, but, um, it was a, it was a pivotal moment. It was like a watershed thing in my mother's life. And, um, she, one of the things that she did as part of her, like catharsis and grieving was to go back to her roots of being a vegetarian. So I'm like 13, 14, looking at this stuff, kind of making fun of her, but then also like, oh, you know, uh, maybe this is the way it is. So I remember like wanting Long John Silver's food or like fish sandwiches from Burger King, but then I would feel like super guilty after eating these foods, right? Um, you know, because that's not, that's not dysfunctional in and of itself, right? Eating and then feeling guilty, right? Anyway, um, so I had collected a bunch of propaganda buttons with like animal rights messages on them, things like go veg, animals are our friends, like, you know, love animals, don't eat them. Um, I had one that was black and red with big block letters on it. And it said, meat is murder. Talk about a provocative statement, right? And I wanted to put that button on my bag too. And I felt like a filthy hypocrite every time I would cave and eat meat again. So I knew I'd be inviting scrutiny of my choices by, you know, going public as a vegetarian. Um, in the, you know, super image conscious world of high school. Um, so finally the summer after I turned, or I, the summer after I turned 14, I succeeded with staying vegetarian. Um, at first, um, <laughs> at first I actually decided I was going to be vegan, but I was such a picky eater that, um, after about a week of trying to survive on dry popcorn like like fake butter like microwave popcorn but it's like it's fake butter so it's vegan it's good and cucumbers i i had to uh admit defeat and say well you know maybe vegetarian is good enough for now i'll figure out the vegan thing later <laughs> um so i remember feeling really proud of myself at the time i felt like i was making a huge difference in the world um i was very much the uh the stereotypical you know ethical vegan. I, I, I remember going out with like flyers and leaflets and like distributing them in my tiny town. 
Um, I organized a library display even, and it was highlighting famous vegetarians. I remember being really into prints at the time. And I know like that's, so I was like 15, 16 in like the nine, like the mid nineties, like prints wasn't exactly a big thing back then. But for me, I was into prints at the time. So I remember being delighted to find out that Prince was also a vegetarian. Um, so yeah, the uh, the next year at school, I was made fun of, but I didn't waver. I also met just one or two other vegetarians, and I was really shocked um, because, you know, this is like rural Texas. Okay. Um, and I was also, you know, overlaid with more depression than I was willing to admit to at the time. Um, I had a lot of issues with... Uh, like I, I was, I was into self-harm at the time and I was like, this is fine. This is normal. Like, I, I don't think I fully looked back on my teen years and realized the level of dysfunction that I had normalized until pretty far into my adult life. Anyway, um, I remember in high school, there was a hallway that I had to walk down to get to like my chemistry or my physics class it was my physics class. And I skipped physics all the damn time because they had installed this uh this cool exhibit and it was a real life dissected spread eagled cat now i'm a cat person and when i was a kid like before i had children of my own i mean i was a cat person like cats were like my family and how dare they so i got a notebook and collected signatures and even got the school paper to write a piece about why all of these students that had signed my petition felt that it was unethical. We succeeded in getting the nasty dissected cat out of that hallway. I still skipped physics though. Um, I remember writing a piece on vegetarianism for the school paper. I got a letter to the editor of a national magazine published that year as well, of course, on animal rights. Um, and I included vegetarianism as an extension of the concept of animal rights because that's where I was like resonating at the time, right? Um, so I remember um, feeling very emotionally driven about vegetarianism, but um, and, and, and in in theory, I wanted to eat healthy, but I was still a picky teenager. And I was like, I don't know, man, celery has strings and these cucumbers are slimy and tomatoes are really disgusting. And uh, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I was raised in a household that was like better living through technology. So very much, uh, very much TV dinners and microwave meals. And, you know, my mom was not big into cooking. So it, I wasn't, I wasn't really well set up to eat a healthful version of vegetarianism. And of course, you know, I think that there is a, a wonderful way and a terrible way to do pretty much any diet out there, uh, specifically vegetarianism. So I had all this, you know, animal rights zeal and, you know, I was reading books. I, rem I remember reading Diet for a New America when I was pretty young. I remember reading, um, oh gosh, there was a book called The Pleasure Trap that really like blew my mind. And still, it's, it's a great book. It doesn't necessarily have to do with vegetarianism, but it has to do with the psychology of why we like things that are bad for us. <laughs> So it's kind of really, um, it's kind of really fascinating. And then of course the other layer is what does bad for us even mean? You know, like let's, let's get into that mind fuck. Right. So 
While I still ate a lot of processed food without thinking much of it, I felt at the time that my diet was congruent with my ethics and I felt, you know, pretty proud of myself. So by the time I was 21, I was, you know, I had figured out veganism. I felt I was learning how to cook. I wasn't that great at it, but I was like trying to, you know, figure all this out. Um, it should be noted that I also had a baby when I was 18 and I was having my second baby when I was 21. So, you know, very much diving deep into uh, being a good mom in terms of, you know, how do I feed these kids and make sure that they're not, you know, missing anything. And, um, and my first kiddo is, of course, as picky as I ever was, um, maybe more so. And um, but then my second kiddo, she I was vegan by the time I had her. And so she her first food was like a tomato swiped off of my sandwich at Subway when you know, like she was, you know, eight months old or something and was like stealing the pieces of food off of my, you know, well, off my sandwiches. Um, and so she is still she's still a vegetarian to this day. And she's, you know, one of my two adult kiddos. And uh, my oldest is, too. He's also a vegetarian, but he's um, I think he's more I think he's just now contemplating different diets and the why and how, because of course, you know, it's easy to stick with what you've been raised with. And I think for, for my oldest, especially, maybe it is more of just a default choice, like a not conscious choice. It's just like, well, this is what, this is how I've always ate, you know, veggie burgers, whatever. Um, and so I think now that he's questioning health, he's getting more curious about all these things. Um, so I, I got comfortable with being a vegan and uh, I also kind of had this, you know, zeal for animal rights and like living correctly. Like I had all these very rigid definitions about like this is correct and this is right and this is true. And, um, you know, I didn't fully recognize it then. But, you know, comfort is comfort sometimes can lead us into complacency. And so when I like I, I got comfortable with my lifestyle at the time. And it was almost like I had to have all these rules around me. And it was like I was building a wall against the truth that was, you know, trying to come at me again and again. Rem like I, same kind of thing with um, when I got hurt. It was like a message, right? So like back then I was really good at shutting down my intuition. I was really good at like building those walls and being like, no, no, nothing to see here. Everything's fine. It wasn't fine. Spoiler alert. Um, so two kids in, 21, ethical vegan, totally knowing what I'm doing. Yeah. And then um, I kind of got hit with some really extreme depression. And, you know, I had been I had been passionate before about animal cruelty and helping the environment. And I thought that, you know, being vegan was part of my my drive to change things. And, you know, gradually I kind of lost my passion for veganism. It was just kind of like where I was and what I was doing. And I didn't really notice that I was also, you know, I kind of lost passion for kind of everything else in my life too. I was really, really deeply depressed and it took me longer than I care to admit to get out of it. So um, by the time my kids were six and three, I was divorced. And um, that was the most terrifying and also brilliant thing uh, that I could have possibly done. I do believe I saved my own life by getting out of a very dysfunctional relationship. And I'm, I, I feel like I, um, 
but I, it, it was like, it was an earthquake in my life. You know, I had built all these nice, safe, secure walls around my identity and who I was and what I thought I cared about. And um, getting divorced meant that I had no security system and no, like, uh, it was very much a, a paradigm shift. It was like a nuclear, a nuclear bomb went off in almost every area of my life. And it was all like a do to just like keep the basics together. I distinctly remember uh, having to eat ramen and like getting it in my, cause I, I guess I couldn't afford to eat anything else. And you know, ramen was like nine cents a pack back then. And I was like, all right, well, I know there's meat products in the ramen and it's like the most, like, we don't have to have a conversation. Y'all know what ramen is. Um, it was like this huge mind fuck for me to be like, wow, this is where I'm at. And this is what I have to eat because I don't have any other options. And I remember my children being like, we've never bought this before. And like, why not? And this is really good. And like, isn't it animal products? And I'm like, it's okay, honey. They changed the recipe. Like I straight up had to lie about it to my kids because that's where we were at. And um, it's funny how like being, you know, brought toward like being, being brought toward rock bottom hit, you know, like having to be in a, is it in a position of, you know, such compromise really brings the clarity. So I, figuring out uh, my life turned into something that was way more important than like, oh, I have to like make sure I'm vegan or vegetarian. And so for a while I was just like, okay, well, I'm, I'm vegetarian, mostly whatever, trying to figure it out. Um, and I was still not really, I wasn't, I wasn't willing yet to eat meat, but I really started eating dairy for the first time in my life. See, because I was raised with like, dairy's kind of bad for you. You don't want to eat a lot of it. So like I, I was like in my 20s and I'd never had things before like cream cheese or like sour cream or, you know, some pretty basic foods because my parents were like, well, that's not healthy. We don't want to have a lot of that. So, and then, you know, when you get on all these like, um, you find out that dairy keeps you full. And so that's kind of the stuff that I was eating, eating with. So we, um, I realized that I had, I just had to kind of eat what I needed, you know, what was, what was available. And so that's where I was. Um, so my diet was a far cry from my, you know, fast food vegetarian diet. Um, this was in 2007. That was the year I had my third baby. I got remarried to a phenomenal person. And I learned to cook spaghetti sauce from scratch that year. I learned to cherish the feeling of a full stomach. Because, you know, when you have kids and your options are limited, are you going to feed yourself or are you going to feed your kids? So I remember having enough money to buy a bag of apples. And then everybody had, you know, an apple and I would not have one because there weren't enough. So during that year, I think what really kept me on the path of vegetarianism more than anything else was just that it was cheap. I had to retrain myself to eat things that I'd worked so hard not to eat, not to want, not to like. I distinctly remember like sitting in front of, you know, a, an epic like lasagna dripping with gooey cheese. And I had I had gotten to the point in my head where cheese was like not food. Like, this is disgusting and horrific and, like, it might as well be, like, sewage. I shouldn't even have this on my table, let alone in my mouth. And I had to really retrain my brain to be like, no, no, this is good. This is beautiful. This is nourishing. This is what's available. So I really was, like, 
you know, and then much later I realized that uh, our thoughts do influence the quality of food that we put in our bodies, right? Because like if you're eating a kale salad and you're like cursing it with every bite, like, oh my God, fucking kale, I hate this shit. Do you think you're going to get some nourishment out of that kale salad? Probably not nearly as much as if you're eating something like much less, you know, quote unquote virtuous and being like, this food is fucking phenomenal. I'm so excited to be able to eat this food. It tastes amazing and I love it. And that's the food that's going to heal your body, right? So back then I developed a pretty rotten philosophy about food. It was, you know, necessary perhaps at the time. Uh, but it's it, it was like I worked so hard to program myself one way and then I had to work so hard to program myself a different way. And after that, I was just like, whatever. Uh I learned a lot about that. I never really cared how my food tasted. I just wanted to shut my stomach up and not have like eating food, cooking food, preparing food. None of it was a joy. All of it was a bother. And I remember that this was around the time when I first started to recognize that maybe that's a problem that like, maybe it's not normal to think that way about nutrition and diet and all that. Maybe Maybe there's something wrong with me that I don't have joy around my food. In other words, you know, layers of depression, right? Figuring it all out. So for all my high-minded idealism, I mostly just ate whatever was convenient that fulfilled the label of vegan. So meeting my husband was a real like paradigm shift because he has a completely different way of thinking about food. He is an excellent cook. Like he's been cooking since he was like a little kid in his mom's kitchen, he could easily like open a food truck, come up with like street food, have a cult following for his, you know, like he could be on a chef show and win. He's that good. And why? Because he has a passion for good food. He's an omnivore. He's a German. So of course he's an omnivore. He is respectful and understanding of, you know, more plant-based diets because one of the things that it's, you know, I think one of the ways that we connect with our food is by connecting with the the life and the vitality in it. And so, of course, vegetables fill that in a very beautiful way. Like it is, it, it's, it's like crystallized sun, sunshine, right? Like vegetables and fruits are, are real living, like prana filled foods that um, you can do a lot creatively with cooking just with vegetables. You don't necessarily need meat or fats or whatever it is. And so I remember one of the first days I ever spent with him, uh, we were kind of, you know, time crunched and, um, I was nervous about, well, we better just, you know, go through a drive through and get some food. And he was like, no, let's go to the grocery store. I can cook. And I was like, what? He cooked me an unbelievable feast. I was blown away, um, by the food that he made. He, uh, he made fresh pico de gallo. He made handmade tortilla chips. Like he bought some freaking corn tortillas and fried them up in oil to make like homemade tortilla chips. I never had anything like that before. It just, it blew my mind. Uh, romance isn't dead. Like I definitely fell in love with him over that meal. Um, so the foods that he prepares, like sometimes, you know, they had... They had dairy, they had fats, they had sugar, they had all these things that I convinced myself were like, no, no, bad. Um, but they were full of 
they were full of love. I was able to see so so clearly that he is pouring energy and intention and and care into the foods that he prepares. And it's like he's infusing everything he cooks with his own like energetic vibe that makes it fortifying and life affirming, like regardless of what the you know nutritional facts label might say. So in my mid-20s, I was reveling in things like cream cheese and white sauces and homemade spring rolls and, you know, so many things like that. Um, cooking big meals for the holidays. Uh, are, it's a joyful, amazing thing instead of like a drudgery. I, am, I have figured out um, how to shift that apathy that I had previously about, about food. And I was able to fully like enjoy and uh, receive the love that is present in real cooking. So that's where I was. And it was, it was a lot of healing to get to that point. So this is a long episode, so I'm going to kind of leave it there. But in the next one, I'm going to talk about meeting a good friend of mine. I think I met her in like 2015. My dear friend, Kat, Catherine, she is California Cat, and she is a cancer survivor. And she was the first person I ever met that didn't eat grains. So that was very much a what the fuck moment for me. Um, yeah. Thank you for listening so far. Bye.